Welcome everybody to Suss It Out. My name is Rudhi Datta and this is my podcast Sussing Out Sustainability Stories, Ideas, Trends, Advocacy and a whole lot more. I graduated. I now have an MSc in Environmental Sciences from ATH Zurich, and I just took a break, you know, for a while. That's why the podcast is. I mean, it's it's been a little erratic, I, I must say. But I'm back, and I'm determined to do this because uh, I'm unemployed now. So if anyone's uh, looking to hire a, a master's student recently graduated, please hit me up. That was just my plug. <laughs> Anyways, moving on, that's two degrees for me and hopefully less than 1.5 degrees for the earth. At least that's what the aim was for me to do this master's. Since I've graduated, I have been thinking about the education system overall and how this challenging time that the pandemic has brought, it has changed the entire system and it has had to go online. We're not getting our graduation ceremonies, we're not getting the experience or the collective trauma, as you will hear uh, later in this episode. But before I introduce the guest for this episode, I was talking to my sister and she's currently in 12th grade and as much as for me it was quite okay because ETH never had a graduation ceremony to begin with. It's just not a part of the culture over here. But I do know a lot of people from the batch of 2020 are a tad bit sad to have not had a graduation at all and I can completely understand. Also, it was my second degree and I had my graduation in my first degree, so I guess I was okay with it. But congratulations to anyone who's listening from the batch of 2020, no matter where you are, what degree you've done, you've done great. You made it through and you deserve a pat on your back, so do that and big virtual hugs from me. That being said, I also realized that, for example, in my sister's case, she just wants to go back to school and she just wants to have a normal academic year. So while... The spotlight is on batch of 2020. There are a lot of students that can't even have that usual experience of just going to school and university and college, right? So I'm going to plug something over here that I think everyone should watch because I didn't think I needed it. But once I watched it, I had to recommend it to every person I knew. So the Under 25 Studios has released a docufilm called Batch of 2020. It's narrated by Anto Philip, one of the co-founders of Under 25. And yeah, a lot of amazing superstars, rock stars of people have worked on this amazing film. And it's just really nice. And no matter if you're in school or college or university or whatever age, if you need a little bit of hope, if you need a little bit of let's restructure and relearn and unlearn the way that we think of our education system, I highly recommend that you watch the docufilm. It's on YouTube and I will link it on every social media that I post this podcast on. Um, I'm so proud of the team, but also I'm just so grateful to know such amazing creative people who have worked on this personally. It's quite like inspiring to see all of that put together. Now, let's get to the episode. So this episode's guest is my dear friend and senior from Engineering Days, Prashant Nori. So he's currently the implementation researcher for the MIT Playful Journey Labs work in India. 
His work is focused on assessment science in the context of project-based learning in India. Before this, he led implementation and partnerships efforts for Meghshala, a leading edtech non-profit in India and was an elementary school teacher with Teach for India. He co-founded Dramebas, an initiative that uses theatre as a tool to build essential life skills in at-risk students across India. He's a two-time TEDx speaker, speaker at Harvard Ed Talks, and a recipient of Mumbai Heroes Award. He has a Master in Education in Technology, Innovation and Education from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Quite the Sharmaji Kabita, I must say, <laughs> but the nicest person ever. Without any further ado, this is Prashant Nori on Suss It Out. I hope you enjoy. Hi Nori, thank you so much for joining me on Suss It Out today. Hi, thank you. This feels so cool. <laughs> Let's start off uh, with this question that I do in every episode. Uh-huh. Imagine that it's a Friday and you're at a climate strike. What's your go-to slogan? Uh, there's one that really like catches my imagination and it says, they have smarter cabinets at Ikea. So I think that's the one I'm going to have. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that one a lot. All right. So first of all, let me make this clear. His name is actually Prashant Nori, but he's been known as Nori forever. Just like how I was called Datta and Butter Chicken and all the 15 other different names in college. So throughout this episode, I'm going to refer to Nori as Nori because I don't know otherwise. So just putting it out there, you know, and um, I've known you for almost what, seven years now, I think. Yeah, seven-ish, six, seven years now. So when I joined Ramaya for my um, engineering, you were in your final year and let's say the most approachable one. And, and I know if Yash is listening, he's going to be really annoyed at that. What's up, Yash? but yeah let's say you were the most approachable one because for me I mean you were also in my department and it just worked out because you know we you were my immediate like senior in the department so yeah so let's start off from the good old engineering days and uh why biotechnology engineering Nori and do you miss DepSoc yeah I wish I wish I could give you like this you know, grand answer of uh, there was going to be a pandemic and then I needed to learn biotech to fight. But honestly, <laughs> the only seat I got, <laughs> I, I set out to be a lawyer and then I was like, okay, uh, what's the most logical thing that lawyers do? And it looks like it's a biotech engineering degree. So that's how I ended up in biotech. Um, and then I was like, okay, I still want to be a lawyer. So the closest I could get to like uh, sort of yelling in front of a podium or what I thought lawyers do, DevSoc. And so that's how I ended up in DevSoc. And yeah, I miss it. And some of my closest friends are from DevSoc. And um, I feel like we've never really outgrown those days. And um, yeah, so I think that's 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 my story to getting into the scene. And then it became an excuse to like travel the world or whatever on college expense. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always nice on college expense. That quite helped, you know, in the whole process. <laughs> All right. So one of my first memories of Nori was when I was a first year, like a fresher, and I went to attend all the orientation meetings of all the extracurricular clubs that we have uh, in college as, as one does in like every, you know, every fresher does that. And you were actually speaking to a crowd about the school tree project. 
Now, I went on to head that club along with others later on when you graduated and I was in my third, fourth year. But as the OG founder, tell us a little bit about the School Tree project and was it one of the reasons that led you to the education sector and space? It was all Yasha's idea, um, largely. And I think there's a small like, uh, cursor, precursor to that, which was um, I got a chance to go to like go teach theater and go teach like um, photography and stuff for uh, for an NGO called Make a Difference for a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so that that always stuck. I said, look, we're also talented um, and stuff. And then we got talking and Yash was like, hey, why don't we actually convert a lot of like college um, talent, human resource, all of that into uh, places where it would be needed the most. And so he sort of set out going around to uh, orphanages and then uh, with the whole team they put together uh, I mean there were all of us like a, the big team um, went around to like actually get these orphanages on board and then we came up with uh, with an idea that you can like pay a very tiny membership that will cost you as much as a mug of noodles on a on a you know a monthly basis or something like that and then sort of putting it together like very early stages I feel much before like the crowdfunding scene really kicked in I thought Yash got uh, this crazy idea of like bringing in crowdfunding at a community college level kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Get everyone to contribute. You can either contribute money on a monthly basis or you can contribute your time. And then we'd like go work on these like uh, shelter homes and orphanages and government schools and things like that. I think I, I very distinctly remember at one point the college was basically like this club is not allowed to run or some such because we were thinking of charging money. Yeah, and I think that sort of anger stayed with me and with us, I think, for a long time. And and for me, that anger channelized a lot into saying that, uh, why is it hard to do good? Like, it, it was easier for me to be able to, like, think of some other stupid thing I could do. But it was, it was a lot harder for, like, you know, um, for trying to, like, actually go and do good. And I thought, look, I, I have to make this, like, leap now. So I think in, in many ways, I, it lucked out that sort of... Um, the Teach for India piece happened and I got accepted to the fellowship. Um, and yeah, so I think that that was largely uh, like School Tree was, was setting out to do those things. And I feel like in our time, we never could, we never ended up doing as much as like really setting it up. And thanks to people like um, you and, and so many other wonderful people like they just and stuff who took it ahead. I felt like School Tree lived on uh, well beyond what we, we even like uh, thought of initially. So right before this, uh, we started recording this podcast, we were just catching up and we were talking about how being publicist for your work is so important. Anori, did you make the video that was screened at the orientation, uh, the one, the black and white with all the photos of the kids for the school tree? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember distinctly being sick when we were supposed to actually go and like shoot the video or I don't know what it was, but I couldn't go. But I remember it was a big team of Yash and Nagraj, Rama, Kanan. Uh, Amar, a lot of people uh, who actually went out and, you know, Mudla, I don't know, a lot of people went out to like these places to take, uh, take photos and stuff. And then we sat together and edited it. And uh, yeah, it was it was all about getting, uh, taking everyday things in, in these kids' lives and showing that, you know, there's potential, like maybe they're, they're like gardening or something, but there's a potential to be, um, you know, in sustainability or something. I think I, I, I do remember maybe one of the first times I've used that word, but yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, that was uh, quite the selling point for the club because it was so different from what we were doing in college, like what most college clubs do. I mean, there are dance clubs, there's like music and everything, right? And yeah. even theatre for that matter or Depsoc. But this was like so different from what you see in a normal engineering college in India. So I think yeah. that was one of the biggest selling points for me. And um, yeah, I'm going to somehow find the link and link it when I release oh, this. No. <laughs> but it's very cute. It's a very endearing video where you're like it's everyday things and it's adorable and I mean y'all are in it so yeah why not <laughs> I think one of the nice things that did come up was in my third year we did this whole uh, Christmas fundraising thing oh yeah which was, yeah which was quite successful it was uh, very nice uh, over there at least what really like pumped me up was that they were they were like I think you guys were working with uh, kids who were like in a juvenile home basically who yeah, so, were, for whatever reason fallen on the wrong side of law and like I mean, they're, they're still entitled to their childhood. And I thought that was just like a very magical uh, thing to happen. Right. And I mean, um, I mean, some of the kids were also like their parents fell into stuff. And because uh, they uh, still needed rehabilitation. So there were kids like that as well. So changing gears from college, let's talk about post-college. So you were somewhat of a pioneer when it comes to pursuing the Teach for India Fellowship post-engineering. Because I know a lot of my batchmates also went on to do the TFI Fellowship. Yeah. And then now they're even working in the sector. So tell us a little bit about Teach for India, why you chose to pursue it and what your experience was like. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like this is one of the fondest parts of my life. Um, and basically what happened was I uh, got into a bunch of IT firms. I mean, no offense to them, but I got into like three, four of them uh, after doing really badly in all the interviews. And then I had to pick between that or to pick between doing something else. And uh, a little sort of moving a little bit back was when I, you know, when you join college and there's that craze where you're like, oh, everyone's doing something. I also need to do something other than class. And um, and so I had that craze. Uh, I come I come from like a like a KV, right? And there's barely anything happening there. So when mm -hmm. I shifted gears and moved into college, it was like this whole new world. And one of the first opportunities that came my way was uh, to be a campus ambassador for this Teach for India movement. Very early years of TFI, maybe it's like second or third year of operations. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we were going, like I was going around putting posters and speaking to people. And um, I recruited some like, you know, seniors into the, into the movement and stuff. And over the years, I got a chance to see that, like, you know, you add them on Facebook and stuff. And you keep seeing posts of their classrooms and the work they're doing. And I was like, man, I mean, if if ever I want to like have a ledger of my life, then I would want this to be there like that. The thought always got stuck in my head. So eventually I, I had to pick between like moving to these companies um, or applying to the fellowship. And uh, and then when I applied and I was like, OK, I don't know whether I'm going to get in or what's going to happen. Uh, I think that's where luckily a lot of this work uh, and a lot of our thoughts with you know, whether it was with uh, Make a Difference earlier, with uh, School Tree and things like that really helped. And then I got accepted and then it was a whole like, um, whole sort of, uh, it was it was very new for my family. They're very supportive and stuff, but they were still like, okay, what are you doing? Are you are you getting into a cult or something? So, <laughs> uh, so a lot of convincing and a lot of conversation later, I, yeah, I, I landed in Pune for my training. Uh, so they have like a five week sort of intensive like teacher training. Uh, very honestly, I came out of even the training, like I always had this in my mind saying, oh, maybe I'm going to regret this decision 
you know what am i doing why am i a teacher everyone else is off to college and they planned their third and fourth year and wrote their gres or whatever um and so yeah and then i i landed uh, after that you're allocated like a classroom in a different city so i taught a third grade classroom in a school in old city in hyderabad and yeah i, I think i think once once i reached the classroom once i was there to teach there was like no looking back i you know you you it's the feeling like you like you've come home and for me it was like yeah i i've i've come home like it was really nice it was it was absolutely berserk kids were doing the craziest randomest things but i think two years there i i really got a chance to like teach like a lot of children um and this was not like one off you go and pose for a session to teach but this is like hey I, the parent is asking me why the classroom classwork notebook is not complete or doesn't have like tick marks on it and then i have to look like i'm sort of this teacher who's got it all together and <laughs> the kids don't have it together and you know it was like trying to take on a role so it was a little bit like playing shop shop or whatever when you're a kid or playing like school <laughs> when you're a kid so <laughs> except did you have a uh, did you have a red pen where you checked all the notebooks with oh <laughs> uh, yeah i did <laughs> oh my god you were a teacher teacher like that's like the most indian teacher thing ever to have like a red pen to check all the classwork notebooks hey, and everything look you <laughs> feel feeling of importance um i had i had both that and i had to wear a formal shirt frequently with a pocket uh and then you would have the tip of the sort of red pen sticking out of your like breast pocket um and i would have a register in my hand with a couple of books so as as quintessential teacher as it gets oh my god but that is so <laughs> cool you know i feel like i've realized oh, at least in our generation i feel like there's somewhat of a i know you and a lot of my friends are in this space so i do know that there is not that much of a fallout but people are not as active into getting into the, the whole teaching profession and the education sector right because it's just i don't know yeah. people like to do other things now But yeah, it's cool that you did that and uh, got the power of the red pen, you know. Because I don't know <laughs> what it's like, but I I think it's amazing. <laughs> and 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 to sort of uh, end this thread largely, it was like a principal had a green pen, and I was like, mm, one day I'm going to have the green pen. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the color of the pens are so important. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just a little bit more about like the ethos of TFI because um, some of our listeners might not know what TFI is and what the t- fellowship is. Just like give us like a quick download on what TFI stands for and what it does. Yeah. So I think uh, I mean it sort of. is an offshoot of something that started in the US called Teach for America about maybe about 40 30 40 years ago and the whole concept uh of the whole like teach for whatever country movement is that uh is ex- is exactly what you were talking about right now that there's a dearth of uh talent becoming teachers because i mean you've heard enough uh quotes that say you know those who can do and those who can't teach and this kind of stuff um and we've all hated our teachers enough to actually dig up some of these quotes while growing up so you have like a very bad experience with teaching and teachers and it's like leave such a bad taste in your mouth and nobody who's cool in your circle is a teacher come on and so because of that like i think many years ago the concept came up saying let's get the brightest most highest performing college graduates to be full time teachers you know taking on that entire role of like red pen and book and everything like whatever it takes to be a teacher and then the the whole like sort of underlying piece is in it, they call it the theory of change and that's twofold right one is saying that in the short term you're actually taking at least a class of like 40 kids or 50 kids and you're giving them the best possible teacher that they can have who's like dedicating 
roughly uh, 18 to 20 hours of their day into making sure that their classroom is really good and that the kids are not just doing well, but they're also catching up and being able to compete with children who have access to the best resources. So can you provide not just a good classroom environment, but something that will considerably try and bridge the gap between a kid in a public school or a low-cost school and a child, you know, who's going to, uh, I don't know, whatever XYZ school that has swimming pools and tennis courts and everything, right? So that that's sort of the short-term goal, saying you're going to provide great quality education. And I think what I align with a lot more was the long-term goal, saying that now with two full years in a classroom, being a school teacher, no matter where you go beyond this, whether you go into policy making, whether you go into uh, curriculum design, you go into politics directly, or you become a programmer, you're always going to operate with the lens of, hey, this is, is this absolutely essential? And is this really making a sort of a difference in the lives of kids out there. So sort of uh, keeping like education inequity in mind, no matter where mm -hmm. you're operating, how you're operating. So I felt like that's the broad piece. And what I, what otherwise is like really awesome is it's, it's two years, it's a fully paid experience. So you're not like running away to, to join like what is potentially see, seen as a scam NGO, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, a, it's a legitimate thing. There's really cool branding and you'll also see videos of Amir Khan and Rahul Bose talking about each for India, so that helps. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I thought I thought it was like it was great, but again, like when when I joined or when people even people before me joined, it was still a big gamble because you didn't know what people were doing outside of it. Uh, now there's just a lot more people in the system. Uh, you know, you're seeing Delhi school reforms, or you're seeing MHRD changing its way into like online education. All of it's with people who've largely been in Teach for India, like many many pieces are people who've gone through the system so yeah right so it's kind of had like a ripple effect and spillover on a lot of different things although it started off as just a two-year fellowship it has had quite an impact you know yeah I mean I can see that as well from like when you started to when three years later my batchmates went on to do it as well you could see the difference in how much more well known it is and how it was like a cover like a thing that everyone wanted to do it was almost like being accepted into like grad school yeah yeah and i think that that actually is like um is is also it took them time because like it, it's usual right you have you have like first movers and you're you're pioneers of anything your new product a new service a new uh, organization and if if somehow you can crack the deal that it that that like the cool ones are doing it uh, then you have people like me who will join, will be like your second degree, will be like, oh, look, that person did it really cool. I'm also going to experiment and throw away potentially two years of my life. Mm -hmm. And then once that happens, then it's like, you know, it's a, there are some ups and downs, but in general, it's a, it's a good decision kind of thing is what people will feel. Um, and so then you have a significant number of like people who would otherwise be contributing, you know, elsewhere to actually put time into schools that really, really, really desperately need talent. Right wholesome overall but post the fellowship you moved back to Bangalore if I remember correctly yeah, and yeah. you were at Meghshala so what does Meghshala do and what was your role in the organization <laughs> so I feel like I, I always end up being this as I said like the second mover like I'm not the first mover but so Meghshala was like uh, is a is a not-for-profit but edtech um, NGO and again it's like back when uh, the founder Joe, her name is Jyoti Tyagarajan, and she's like, uh, you know, the one of the most wonderful mentors in my life. So, hey, Joe. But uh, so Joe set it up in 2013, and she started it after like a 40-year teaching career. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was really interesting to see, you know, you, you're always going to box like a 
like a 60 year old teacher is boxed in your head right you always right. think that oh uh they probably like sitting and knitting and sewing or something like that but here was somebody who was start, starting a tech company um and well into her 60s and and had a very fundamental idea that teachers are the ones that should be developing ed technology for other teachers mm-hmm. uh and so the core of mekshala was saying uh one of the most i mean if whenever you've taught or i'm sure even when you were planning this podcast and stuff like a one hour conversation with another person if it has to be productive it will probably take 2 to 3 hours of time planning it and so in that case it's like teachers who have to teach for 8 hours will typically have to spend another at least 7 to 8 hours planning for their day of right. teaching and and this is no matter who you box it you can be like oh that's a you know you can stereotype it as saying it's like a lazy government school teacher but it, they're all a they're false stereotypes and b all of these people are actually spending more time more money than they have in trying to build somewhat good experience for their kids and mm-hmm. which means that it's eating into their own personal lives it's eating into their own family time it's sort of uh, taking away from their right to also be individuals right, right. and so when jo started with nikshala the goal was how do you create a technology that will help the teacher do two things one cut time in planning so that mm-hmm. they already have really great well thought out well planned resources from other teachers who have a lot of experience mm-hmm. and b is like how do you give them technology that they are accustomed to is that largely if you see edtech companies today they take a lot of things for granted they take it for granted saying oh we'll join on a zoom call but you know I mean, how many people know what zoom is or any of that so we were actually trying to build specifically a, a, a mobile application for government school teachers in karnataka mm-hmm. uh, very like contextual content fantastic lessons with lesson plans with multimedia everything absolutely free absolutely open source for teachers to use in kannada in the local language mm-hmm. um and so this was what mikshala was doing continues to do and will probably forever be known for continuing to do that and i think that's the strength of what the organization was setting out to do um and at a point when i decided to join i was like okay this is really cool i had a call with some folks in the team who are now really dear friends amrita and manjunath and ulas and joan all of these people that i spoke to um uh, and i was told i was like this is where i want to be because young i mean young not in the sense of age but like young team energetic and really really fresh like ideas and who knew like edtech was going to be a big thing in in 2013 or 2014 right, right. Um, they were out there doing it and they have, they were hiring a bunch of people to actually take it out to teachers and put it out in classrooms and things like that so i joined in like early 2016 and i joined as an implementation manager and uh, in yeah so we used to literally take back then it was like because teachers didn't have tech there was no geo and that meant that you had to like there was no internet in school so we were giving out like projectors and tablets and then sitting with teachers helping them figure things out and over time we were helped by this whole 4G boom and stuff and then we pivoted into a absolutely mobile app kind of thing because teachers had their own uh, really nice smartphones and they wanted content they could use so when i joined we were working with like 30 teachers and by the time like a year in i think it exploded to like we had about 15 20000 downloads um uh from like teachers across the country across the like, very focused in karnataka largely because the app was in kannada and like that's so rare on the play store for you to find like regional really fantastic high quality exactly content. yeah so it it really kicked off it was working and then i think uh, i moved in my second year into a more like i used to do a lot of like fundraising and i was doing a lot of like uh, government advocacy kind of thing so trying to tie up with state governments to see if we could make the app available to a large number of like teachers and 
I think a lot of those efforts are sort of it's a slow moving animal. So now currently they work with about three states. So they have like Nishala has a really strong tie up with the government of Karnataka, with uh, Sikkim and with Manipur. And uh, they're working with entire states to sort of retrain the whole teacher uh, task force that's out there and then put in like give them really high quality content and things like that. So it's it's just a magical, magical beast, I must say. It sounds so cool because I've only heard, uh, I mean, when I met you, I've only heard a little bit about Meghshala, but the depth of this is quite like phenomenal on how it has had an effect on even, you know, how policy and like government level things look at teaching as a profession, you know, which is super cool. But yeah. we'll talk about the digitalization end of things because that's an important topic, I think, in the current times that we live in during COVID. Yeah. We'll talk about that a little later. Sure. But uh, you mentioned that theater was a thing during school tree, during Ramaya days and everything. Um, you also co-founded Ramayvas. I would like to call that more of an initiative than, uh, than an organization, but you're the best person to tell us everything about Ramayvas. So the floor oh, is yours. My favorite, my most wonderful, happy thing to talk about. Um, and yeah, I think, I think it goes back to like Ramaya and when we were doing like shout out and like, I mean, I have huge... Uh, Year one, big gang of friends from my class, biotech. We all decided to get into theater and act in plays and everything back in college, right? Um, and I feel like that shaped a lot of, how do I put this? Well, a, a lot of like the way I think about myself, the way I carry myself, the way I speak and the confidence to like present ideas to people. And so that always stuck with me. I said, okay, like this was really helpful. Like, and working on a big production is often like a nightmare to like get together, but, right. uh, and, and I'm sure you've had it like a lot of like, you know, college drama and people not showing up for practice and people fight. <laughs> so like, I think four things that really stood out to me in that process. One was like confidence, like having the confidence to put a script out or put a presentation out or convey an idea. Collaboration, I mean, working with crazies to get something to happen and sort of uh, critical thinking because you're, you're, there's always going to be like uh, somebody on stage who's at some point or the other going to tell three lines down the line what she or he should say, like they're going to say it right now. And you have to adapt and you have to like think about it. So a lot of like critical thinking and problem solving, right? So these these were like the, the things that I felt I picked up the most out of about three years of theater and short films and all of that. Then when I went to Teach for India, I went to my classroom. I felt like traditionally how your teacher taught or how my teacher taught is how all of us end up teaching our, ourselves when we go to class. So they're like children. Today we have to learn. <laughs> and if you want them all to say yes, sir, or some such. Yes, right. sir. Yeah. Good morning, <laughs> madam. <laughs> yeah, and then literally everything that you did to annoy your teacher is what they will do to irritate you. And then I think in that journey, uh, one of the things that happened to me was it's a very fun short story. Actually, is uh, I I had an activa back then that I was to go to school on, and then uh, I. I got late to school because my tire punctured and there was a whole thing happening. And then uh, by the time I go to school, uh, at some point a few like weeks earlier, I had like given them this idea saying you should be, you know, making a play together and we should do drama and all of that. And that time it was like really because I was tired and I needed to kill time the first time I'd done it. But then this day when I showed up late, it was like my co-fellow Abhishek had, you know, told them that look, all of you are making like an absolute ruckus out of your class and your teacher's late. So do one thing, put a play together kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So by the time I had gone back to class, I was first like really worried because my class was silent when I was walking up to it. 
and I knew that something was off. And so I'm I'm walking up. And I'm like oh, the principal is probably there, and I'm like in deep trouble. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I I'm sort of dragging my feet and looking around. I go inside, and there's no principal. Like surprise, surprise. And the kids are like uh, they're just picking up like English and stuff. They're like, "Bhaiya, humne we put one play. You sh- you see drama." So okay, cool. Mm. So I sat, and then there's all the kids are putting up a small drama for the rest of the class to watch. Story was really like I don't know, it was stupid largely. But the story was basically there's a malkin and three people come to beg and so so on. And then in the first version of it, she uh, calls the security guard and asks the security guard to behead all three beggars. Um, and I was like, what is this? What are you doing? And then and then she says, okay. In the next scene, what happens is it's the same scene again, but in this case, like the three beggars come, and then the malkin is like uh, security. Inko bangla de do, gadi de do, paisa de do, khana de do. Oh um, my god! <laughs> <laughs> and so then, uh, and this skipped my mind. So one of my class like things was around non-violence because they used to beat each other up a lot. So they and she was like, yeah, this like, uh, and then the one kid who knew like really good English in the end of the class was like, all of you should show non-violence. If you do violence, then I will beat you up or something like that. <laughs> Um, and and anyway, like they were trying to point, convey a point across. And then for me, I think what struck when I was looking around, every kid, including the most troublemaking, screaming, tantrum throwing kid, everyone was listening. So I think I learned that one, kids listen to each other better, and you just got to provide more avenues, opportunities to do that. And two, like theater and storytelling is a great medium, and if it helped me, then it's gonna help the kids. And clearly, it's like something they're excited by. So I started doing a little bit of this. Parallelly, I had a colleague, Soumya, who was teaching in another school. She was doing theater more around like they take a they take a textbook like lesson and they put a whole play together and the whole school would be invited to like watch the play. And mm-hmm. she was doing it to build a lot of like reading comprehension and like um, inferential skills and things like that in English and reading and uh, in literacy largely. So we happened to meet at another event and we were like, hey, why don't we like put all this together and and make a, a theater festival. And that was all it was. We had planned that we we're going to take her kids from her class and my kids from my class, and they're going to put a, put some plays together. Um, and then, yeah, and then people started saying, "Hey, we want to send you know other teachers and your fellows. You meet at events. They're like, hey, I'm ready to send my kids to do a play.' And someone else is like, yeah, I mean, I think my kids would enjoy it. And suddenly we had like we had like ten, ten, fifteen schools were like signed up, and mm-hmm. every school had a team of ten kids that were coming in. And we were just like, what is happening? <laughs> Why are there so many signups? And then suddenly it was like, okay, let's make this a whole thing. And in the middle of this, Teacher India had a incubator program that uh, we had randomly applied to, and then we got picked for that. And they were like, look, you can't do just a festival. You have to come up with a whole curriculum, and then you should have a more like targeted intervention. Mm-hmm. So we quickly came up with a curriculum with a way to assess like some of these skills, and we put this out. And and yeah, and then it was great. It was like on on the final showcase, which was December of twenty. 20- 15 is is to be specific um there was a fantastic play kids put up incredible stories we had like the culture minister who somehow ended up hearing about the event and he was sitting in he was the chief guest of the event like it was crazy it was like far beyond what we had imagined mm-hmm. um and then we were like yeah this is great and we're going to sort of be excited about this and then i think uh, somewhere just after this had happened you 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 probably remember rohit balakrishnan from yeah. college. He he then was doing Teach for India. Uh, he was like, 
I heard about this. Now I have to do this. Like this is going to be my project in Bangalore. I'm going to do it there as well. And then some other fellows in Hyderabad were taking it up. Someone else from like uh, Pune and Mumbai were taking it up. And so it it became something that uh, you know, referencing back to an earlier point in our conversation where Swamya and I let go at one point because there were so many people, so many new ideas, so many ones wanted to take it ahead. Right. Um, and yeah, and so last December I was like 2019 December was the fifth. uh edition of dramibas that happened i don't know we've had like maybe 4000 5000 kids who go who've gone through the program and it's still going on i've i haven't been involved some has been involved for a while but yeah it's quite magical like that story and i love telling it because i feel like when you get like a critical mass of people to believe in something and kids to enjoy it uh then like you or in my case like me and somya were inconsequential the ideas far far greater than us and goes in far more directions than we ever thought it would go Right. I also love the name because uh, now that I know the story behind it, I realize so drama bars in Hindi. I mean, in English, would be dramatic, like over the <laughs> OTT, over the top. That's what I'd say. That that's the translation, the millennial translation, let's say. But uh, when that now that I know the story of how the kids decided to put up the play, it is a lot of extra dramatics and like beheading for like begging, which is quite interesting. But yeah, it's such a wholesome, lovely story, very endearing, I must say. Yeah. Uh, but like now, let's start flexing a little bit, shall we? <laughs> and <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, no, okay. I will explain that for you. I will give you the platform to flex. So I mean, I'll give you the push, and then you can flex. So you went to Harvard University Graduate School of Education, huh? Very interesting. <laughs> what did you study? What was your experience like? And this is the most important question that. how big is the red dot on the tedx stage when you stand on it and talk you know <laughs> your tedx speech so considering that now you have that under your belt as well so tell us about harvard and the experience and everything wow okay uh time to flex but anyway uh yeah i think i think couple of threads all tying together is uh at some point as i was saying like dramibas was growing bigger than i imagined than somya imagined we got a lot of like thanks to teacher india thanks to a lot of people involved i think we got a lot of publicity um on news media at one point and especially in like a lot of different places and again like the ramaya community is so good that they kept like i think people were hearing about it and so at one point um neeraj who's now continues to be a dear friend was uh, he was all in the tedx scene and he was hosting a, a, a tedx uh, he was helping a friend host a tedx and the friend had heard about rambas and so he was just like look let's like i know this guy let's get this to happen and then and the first time we we did it it was more like let's get the kids to tedx stage like that was more of a point to prove that no matter mm-hmm. where these kids come from like they have the right to their stories and so i tedx alsur in i think 2016 or 2017 i don't remember right. when it, but we actually got the kids on stage and it was magical that like uh, children from aslam in hyderabad uh, were were have now will sort of have this um, legacy that they're going to carry with them that's saying i was on a tedx stage um and i think that meant a lot to like to somya and me about having put that together and i got to, i got to like steal some limelight and speak for like 5 minutes <laughs> pretending to be on the stage um and i was like oh well like all that is long and forgotten then uh tedx niit university happened and and so like that was when i actually got to speak and and this the dot is actually 
scarily small and i don't know for people who have seen me speak i'm animated i walk around a lot because i'm very nervous when i speak um <laughs> as i am sweating my pants off right now but <laughs> <laughs> you're kidding i'm a very chill conversationalist people <laughs> not sweating at all this is a very no. chai time conversation <laughs> for me any yeah i mean i yeah, it's just me a little panic i think stage fear is is real um and so it it it's far smaller because i was standing on it and speaking and suddenly before i knew it the dot was on the different corner i am on a different corner the slides are not working um yeah there was all of that panic but yeah i think i think it was a, it was a, a dream that i never saw myself doing that came true and i really enjoyed it and loved having the ability to put a story across mm-hmm. and uh, with that came i feel a lot of credibility to our work and uh, um and then like some and i got nominated for a, for i think in the midst of all of this mumbai heroes mira had their own like thing going on so we got nominated for that award and it was pretty cool that we were because we were doing work in mumbai as well mm-hmm. uh, and so anyway all these pieces come together uh i was in 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 mikshala as i said i made a shift more into like fundraising and like advocacy and stuff and somewhere there it hit me that i wasn't cut out for that work like i can i can do some selling I'm, i mean i may be even good at like fundraising but mm-hmm. where my heart lies was largely in like in like teaching and learning and trying to understand how to make kids learn and you know right. how it's commu- like make like school should be fantastic it should be the most joyful time of your life and for mm-hmm. many of us like school like for me it was like an awful experience and and so in that time it was like uh, i applied to college i was like i i i need to study more i need something behind me uh we were not able to get ramibas to click like no one was willing to invest or fund or anything like that the movement was growing but literally it could never as you said could never move from being an initiative to being an organization and the initiative grows and continues to grow yeah. uh and and then it hit me that like i had no credibility right like who's going to listen to my ideas till then the story was i was a biotech engineer who became a school teacher who now thinks drama is like really important so it sounds mm-hmm. really like you know like what <laughs> Okay this guy's having a crisis and clearly there's a problem. <laughs> um but from from there and then, and then I applied to grad school grudgingly I I till then I largely antagonized like studying abroad and I said no people have to give back in patriotism and all of those pieces and I applied and and uh I opened like I got a reject at Stanford but I got into Harvard and I was like what and I distinctly remember my mother telling me check your email again and make sure you read it correctly <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and, um yeah and so i i got into a a i felt like edtech seemed to be really helping many of the teachers we worked with so i applied to a program in edtech uh, so it was technology innovation education broad enough for me to be able to like learn more and figure out where i fit in all of this yeah and so that 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 was my uh, and also how was great fantastic experience cannot like replace it or say it was bad or anything also i'm biased now so <laughs> yeah that's true but that being said what's the secret of getting into harvard i know a lot of people ask me that about eth as well but eth isn't like half as well known as harvard so sadly i can't flex <laughs> but uh, yeah i don't know if i have the formula for like getting into big grad schools but i do think having like a well rounded profile with diverse experiences that lead you to that particular program and a statement of purpose that you know sort of serves all of the whole narrative together yeah. i think that is the equation let's say if not the formula to get into big grad schools but what is uh, your formula or equation for acceptance success rate let's call it um i think that like especially the way the world is functioned today your biggest problems are 
are are different they're they're societal and there's a nice word for them they're called wicked problems mm-hmm. issue with the wicked problem and every time it's it's uh, it's you know you're trying to untangle one piece the 10 other things are getting like knotted up far more like both of us are struggling with our uh, earphones just before this call <laughs> um so very much in that way like so right now i feel like if if you're committed to like solving a wicked problem if you're committing a large part of your time life career into trying to fix some of those things when you're in the midst of that if uh, you feel like you've run out of skills or you feel like you need you know credibility or you need like a network or something validation whatever you call it uh new knowledge new skills any of these pieces i feel like that often if you apply in that point in time and you're like look i need something i need some answers and i'm stuck and i'm trying to solve this really big like massive problem that the world is facing i feel like that's when grad school like acceptances are easy and that's when grad school acceptances more than anything else makes sense they're meaningful you enter the program you know where you were stuck you know what you want from the program and then even when you're like submitting like your like i hate the idea of like sops and recommendation and stuff when you're i feel like when you're telling your story it's like it should it should seem like you really want to be there right you you really want to be there because it's going to help you like unlock something massive like exponential gains or you should be able to donate a library but either one of these <laughs> yeah but i love that you said stories because i hate the word sop as well and i always whenever a junior or anyone comes and ask me okay uh, how do i apply what do i do i always tell them the sop is about your story it's about it should tell them who you are why you want to do this how you want to do this and why you're going to be you know a good addition to their whole curriculum and like their program right yeah. and that's so important because you know at the end of the day stories are what it is and that's exactly what i'm trying to do with the podcast now <laughs> that we've done the shameless plug <laughs> and we have your background let's delve into your present uh, tell us a little bit about mit playful journey lab and what is your role um yeah this is a good segue is uh, is basically mit has been sort of at the forefront of like play based learning for a very long time mm-hmm. uh, and they've particularly been with with some things like the education arcade the game lab the teaching systems lab uh, these labs were for many years working on uh, you know game based learning playful learning and things like that uh, and they've come up with a lot of interesting games and i don't know if like probably doesn't make sense as much to like people from india but in the us many games like uh, you know like i think zumbinis and this whole bunch of things i don't even know the names to they actually came out from uh, from mit and so at some point i during my course i, I had the good fortune of running into uh, luisa who was my professor and mm-hmm. she was at that point like involved in setting up the playful journey lab and for whatever reason the playful journey lab was looking at saying that okay one one big challenge the playful journey lab was looking at is uh, is how do you assess playful learning so okay i'm i'm going to do this you play this like video game but where's the assessment piece and sort of the corollary is like how can i make assessment more playful and how can i embed it into the learning process why is it that you have to go into exam mode and at ramaya it meant that you look like a homeless person you barely <laughs> slept your eyes are swollen and you're going to write an exam <laughs> and i mean like you're not your authentic self right if if i uh-huh. give you another day you you've learned nothing and suddenly on that day you have like an a grade or whatever and so the, uh, that's a big crisis with learn like education assessments globally is looking at how do you make find more authentic ways to confirm assessment or like learning right and mm-hmm. so 
uh, this is what the lab was focused on and for whatever reason one of the projects that came in in the midst of this was uh, I was looking at how do you assess things like teamwork like how do i know if riddhi and prashant are working on uh, you know a college project like volcano we've all made volcano so we were mm-hmm. volcano um, but both of us are really like like absolutely fighting over it we're not getting any work done no one of us is doing everything the other one's doing nothing so at the end of it you maybe know how to build a volcano but you're still a lousy person to work with mm-hmm. um, and then that over time translates into you joining a workplace and then your hr having to do team building activities or something like that <laughs> <laughs> um so i think that that piece is is because you're not addressing kids to think inward to reflect on things mm-hmm. like uh, do i know how to be a good troubleshooter do i know how to um you know be a be a sort of go getter like am i able to show the agency to to go out there and get things for myself or am i waiting for them to be like delivered to me on my plate and so like the big piece of our project really is like taking going into like project based learning spaces and for some context for people uh, is that uh, the government of india is actually the world's runs the world's largest maker program called the atul tinkering labs and the tinkering labs are like really high end maker spaces in government schools in low fee private schools actually in all kinds of schools and schools can apply and they get a grant mm-hmm. and uh, imagine like you walk into a government school the I, the words that come into people's head are you know, like wasteful corruption absenteeism mid day meal like these are all that we we associate with like government schools but right. today you walk into a government school that has an atul tinkering lab the words that you will see in front of you is a 3d printer laser cutter drone kit um you know things that you would never ever associate with like with like public schooling in india um and so the the whole goal is like how do you make kids into like innovators and that's the large project that the government's been working on and then we where we fit in is saying that okay you're working on these projects but is there a way that we could bring in activities assessments a toolkit largely that helps all kids in this maker movement to think critically about you know things like teamwork or troubleshooting we call them non cognitive skills mm-hmm. um, so how can they think critically about am i uh, am i showing these non cognitive skills am i thinking about them am i improving them am i setting goals for myself like you shouldn't have to reach your workplace and then have a bad appraisal from your manager to be able to think about these questions like it should be something right. that develops in you right and so yeah that's largely like that's the f- core of our work we we work with two artificial tinkering labs and for idea of scale um we impact about maybe like 40 50 children right now but the movement mm-hmm. itself is uh, there's around 8000 of these labs across the country um and it impacts somewhere around a few million children so our goal is largely that w- our work here will will be converted into recommendations and findings for government of india to be able to provide new ways of learning and new ways of assessing learning in these maker spaces and new ways of thinking about non cognitive skills to like that, that whole like big chunk of uh, building innovation in the country Nori I just had okay I have to take this minute to you know tell you about this I just had that first year of the movement where like I was watching you speak at school <laughs> and I was like damn that guy is very cool what is he doing <laughs> and like even now now that I hear you say this and like I know you <laughs> I know you outside of your work as well so I'm just like damn this is oh, so cool <laughs> but yeah I really commend what you do like what you do right now and your whole journey is pretty cool and it's set a path or like um inspiration for a lot of us let's say a lot of the juniors i'll say that for sure 
बट या दैट बीइंग सेड फ्रॉम हार्वर्ड एंड देन एमआईटी नोरी यू आर जस्ट लेट्स लेट्स कॉल यू शर्मा जी का बेटा नाउ राइट नो आई डू रिफ्यूज नो आई विल लेबल यू विद शर्मा जी का बेटा बट या जोक्स अबाउट आई एम श्योर दैट लाइक फिगरिंग योर योर सेल्फ आउट योर जर्नी आउट एंड योर प्लेफुल जर्नी लेट्स कॉल इट दैट Yeah. Uh, who has been the biggest influence in your career, and how has that person changed the way you work? I think, I mean, definitely, um, I have an elder brother who mm-hmm. is on the on the capitalist side of things. He works with Amazon and everything mm-hmm. um, in 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 uh, California. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like he's uh, been uh, more than anything. It's like I feel when when people have to take these decisions, you need somebody to take the fall for you. Yeah. Um, and more often than not, you tend to pretend like the success is whatever you call it success, or you call it luck, or whatever. It's like a lot of these tags and labels that people associate with success and being Sharma Ji ka beta yeah. always came because whenever I decided to do something absolutely batshit crazy, which is like, hey, I'm going to start an NGO while in college, or I, I'm going to go and like run a fest or something. That is always like, you know, my parents taking out, but never to me directly. Like my brother would take the fall for like every, and I continue to to every decision I make. So <laughs> I think definitely like a lot of guidance, a lot of like uh, falling on the sword for all my nonsense. So. <laughs> You know, it's an older sibling thing because I, I I can while you were saying that I was like wow I do that for my sister too because like I was always a science kid, uh, she is now an arts kid and she's really into music and everything and my parents are just like what are you doing Samruti and I'm like no don't say anything and how like what's the age difference between you and your brother? We're we're eight years apart. Exactly, that is the sweet spot. Because <laughs> my sister and me are like seven and a half years apart, and that's that's you know the exact amount of time you require to be like, hey, I am your sibling, but I also mm-hmm. am like a lot older, so I will not let you do those mistakes or like you know go through the whole hectic process. So I'm going to make things easier for you because I love you. I think that's the way. Yeah, and, and I tell every elder sibling that this is both their responsibility and their like. Their their cost that they're gonna have to hold on to for the rest of their life. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah, I, I like the way uh, you put it as both a responsibility and a cost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so let's switch up the gears a little bit. And now that we know about you, your work, I thought it'd be fun for us to like indulge in a visual exercise and convey that on this audio-based platform because yeah. uh, irony is everything, you know. And uh, one of my favorite cartoons from the early two thousands was the Jetsons. Have you heard of them? And have you okay. watched the Jetsons? Yeah. Heard Jetsons? Da 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 da. Yeah. Sorry. Thanks for the music. I don't have to put that in now. But yeah, so um, I think one of the most uh, amazing things about the Jetsons was like how futuristic it was. And for me as a kid, like the whole transparent bubble top aero cars that they had was um, such a thing that left such a mark on me that every time in school when my teachers like now you are <laughs> you were one but teachers would ask you to write well, what's your 2020 vision or like write an essay or make a drawing i would always slip that aero car in because that was something that i envisioned you know we don't have that teslas are extremely sexy so i'll just uh, <laughs> i'll be like okay cool teslas are what it is But uh, back in the day, what was your idea of 2020? I mean, this is embarrassing. Anyway, like one of the, my favorite quotes is really, it's called "The future ain't what it used to be." And I think one thing that I've always like wanted was, like, Jetson gets ready and like like cars go through a car wash. There's like a like a human wash of sorts. 
and he's like you know he goes through it and he, he does all the brushing changes his clothes yeah. everything just like gets him out ready for work yeah i i thought that would be there like by the time i have to go to work i'm disappointed deeply disappointed and, <laughs> and you have to spend half an hour every morning doing this whole hectic process yeah i would be disappointed too but i guess like uh, <laughs> our our dreams and wishes were a little far fetched for 2020 you know <laughs> maybe 2040 we'll get there unless like climate change messes things up for us you know <laughs> but yeah we'll see let's uh, let's keep this positive this was supposed to be a positive question <laughs> okay now that we're already talking about school days and um you and i both are kendra vidyalaya kids so what was your encounter first encounter with sustainability oh damn <laughs> i don't think my school did anything ever to like really make us think about sustainability or maybe they did and i wasn't listening so it it could be either way but uh, definitely my first ever like proper science project that i submitted was in my um 7th or 8th standard where my dad stayed up all night to build a science project for me <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a drip irrigation system because we wanted to like save water and that was probably the first time i heard like i thought at least got a got the concept of like that the resources are running out um and we have to be like super careful uh and i made the connection that that's what captain planet was talking about so <laughs> i never make that connection till there and uh, so i made this really beautiful drip irrigation project and the judges didn't even look at it they walked straight past that so, was yeah. anti climatic <laughs> <laughs> that was my first encounter i'm sorry like i, I just keep like bringing the the energy down <laughs> <laughs> no but like i think drip irrigation was quite a thing especially when we were like in 7th 8th standard that was like the go to thing cuz of course like the water pressure in india is always a huge crisis right especially yeah. during the summer so it was quite a i mean I don't know if it's inculcating innovation very early on in your life, but somewhat. But I want to ask you, which KV were you in, by the way? I was in Kendra Vidyalaya Indian Institute of Science. Uh, oh, KV IISB, all right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I was in KV DRDO. Just, uh, just putting it out there. <laughs> Same shit, different side of the city. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, because uh, my dad was in the Air Force, so I've moved around the country a lot. But okay. if I call any place home, it's Bangalore because I was born there and I've spent most of my formative years. like chunks of it in bangalore and i've lived most parts of the city other than let's say south bangalore which is not my favorite part anyway so it's oh, okay <laughs> yeah yeah we're going to be hated by like south bangaloreans and it's okay it's fine <laughs> <laughs> it's all right we're north bangalore people it's cool okay so talking about sustainability now um sdg number 4 which is quality education is pretty important and you would be the best person to help us understand what that actually means so the floor is yours again i tried to like really simplify it and i'll try to explain it very short the the goal itself is is talking about um i mean verbatim as i'm reading it out it is ensure inclusive and equitable quality education and promote lifelong learning opportunities for all mm-hmm. and in saying that they make it like my point was like the statement itself is inaccessible largely and so to like simplify it i think like five words focus on one is inclusive that it's able to like education that's able to bring everybody into it and it, it's serving everyone largely two it's equitable and this is different from equal i think everyone seen that image of like 
uh, three kids standing at a fence looking into a baseball field. And in equal, it's like everybody has the same stool below them. And that means the tall kid is able to see even more while the short kid still can't see. There's one where they have like, the tall kid doesn't need the stool. The kid who's like medium tall needs one. And the one who's really short needs two. And so everyone can see the game. So I think that's an easy like way to associate like equity. Third piece is quality, which says that, look, I can't just put you in school. Like, like that was India's first challenge or the world's first challenge is getting everyone to school. Mm-hmm. Like we got everybody to school and saying that, okay, from there it has to reach a certain quality where, for example, we're talking about non-cognitive skills. Am I a good team player? or Am I getting mm-hmm. good science education? All of those pieces. The fourth piece is like lifelong, like, are we able to recognize that your learning doesn't end anywhere? Like it's going to continue whether you're in work or wherever you are, you're learning for yourself and there are opportunities for you to keep learning. And I think the final, the most important word is all is like, we have to move away from this idea saying that, oh, there's always going to be, you know, uh, that rag pickers child who can't make it to school. Mm-hmm. Like, why do we take that for granted? Why are we okay with somebody doing cartwheels on the road begging for money and None of us do anything. We roll our windows and walk past it, right? Okay. But I think one of the things that it says is all, like every single child, every single person has to be in that system. Maybe like school building and the school infrastructure may is not may not be the answer, but like everyone has access to these pieces. I think that's an easy way to put it. Yeah, that was wonderful. That that made so much sense. And you know, I always talk about this about how the sustainable development goals, each one of them they are not very accessible. Like you can't understand unless you're working in the sector which deals with one of one or many of those goals and that is your job, then you sort of put effort into understanding. But yeah, accessibility is one of the things which we'll talk about a little later. But uh, you and I both are as basic as most Indians get. We both went to Kendriya Vidyalaya and we're both engineers. I mean, uh, okay, talking about engineering, do you remember what, what HLA genotyping using next generation sequencing is? What? Did I do that? I can neither confirm. Yeah, sorry. it's on your it's on your <laughs> LinkedIn. So I can confirm that you did that in NCBS. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I human leukocyte antigens and <laughs> often donate. I, yeah, I'm sorry. Maybe I can, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, coming to my question, do you think there has been some sort of a paradigm shift in the sector where like other streams like arts, journalism, business, all of that have picked up from like different angles, you know, where what kids want, what parents want and what teachers want and what the global demand is like. So the shift from conventional just studying science in terms of like engineering, medicine, all of that, has there been a paradigm shift? Yeah, I think that uh, one, it's because there's so much exposure, especially on WhatsApp groups. And I, I love to use <laughs> is that there's so much exposure to like all kinds of like bizarre stuff yeah. right from from absolute fake news to like you know like homeopathy i mean i'm putting it out there i don't believe in it but anyway things like this that that do the rounds all the way to like people also getting exposed to like different pieces right one of them is for example the amount of entrepreneur stories that make their way around saying oh this guy made like or this girl, this lady made 8,000 crores out of eight pennies or something like that. Mm-hmm. So these kind of stories that are doing the rounds, I think especially where people are exposed to these stories. And I love taking this example is like, if I take Bangalore, aspirations mm-hmm. for us when we were growing up were that, oh, I'm going to be a computer programmer. Like it was really cool because you knew that they were computer programmers that mm-hmm. were doing really cool things. They, they got to sit in front of a computer the whole day and they were probably going to California, right? And mm-hmm. so 
like fast forward this many years later many of us are there living that dream like there are many people who do that and like there is a direct flight from san francisco to like bangalore <laughs> so <laughs> um and and so like now if you go to school or now if you talk to parents like that conversation in a city like bangalore has changed parents are like you know i want my kid to be an entrepreneur and and this is like at at like an fo school or a kv at that level parents are actually like thinking about those things saying yeah i want my kid to be an entrepreneur or i don't mind them taking a year to like try and start a business like it's cool i maybe i'll invest a little bit like the conversation shifting in in these circles and when i keep saying these circles it's like circles of relatively high exposure high privilege are willing to take a bet in saying that there's a chance that like starting a business is something like entrepreneurship is sexy kids themselves are again exposed to all kinds of content online they're exposed to youtube very early so mm-hmm. i asked a kid the other day in classroom uh, my colleague rashi and i were taking a session and then they were like okay what do you want to be when you grow up and this kid is like i want to be an instagram influencer oh my god i can't believe that's like a okay, thing that the kid is like i've just started my youtube channel and if i do this right by the time i finish school i'll never have to work again and i was like damn oh my god uh, if only i had my life sorted back then <laughs> yeah and so like like in in privileged circles aspirations are shifting you want to be a toy reviewer or you want your kid to be a toy reviewer so you see you see where things are going like you, you want to go with money is and where outsized outlandish returns exist but that's not true for like the majority for like 60 70% maybe 80% of the country it's still like a stable way to get into college is still it's still out of reach um so parents they still want their kids to at least do an engineering degree and even though you know that that degree continues to not like uh not it currently is not able to like match demand out there right so there's a whole like conundrum here saying the the gap is increasing like the the pe- middle class is aspiring to be entrepreneurs and like business people but mm-hmm. the large chunk of society is still at like okay let, like let me like hope my kid gets to college or let me hope mm-hmm. my kid finishes school so yeah that's that's i hope that puts some sort of a light on the question So we are currently living in like a very iffy reality of COVID-19 pandemic and we talked about like the privileged middle class as well so it's a difficult time for the privileged kids who have to adjust to zoom classes and you know the whole social and practical aspect of schooling have all moved online for them yeah. as much as we joke about like how the whole year is cancelled the school isn't cancelled you still have school my sister still has zoom classes <laughs> so how do you think that this pandemic has affected the sector and what changes do you foresee you know moving forward um like i i hold a sort of relatively controversial view here is that uh, school school functions largely as like a it's like something that's imagined reality we all imagine that a rupee is worth something right so similar mm-hmm. way you imagine that the school is worth something but at a like a global scale and so because of that like you're like you're just tied into it but two more importantly more interestingly it's daycare it's going to take care of the kids while you get to work and you get to bring like food home for the family Mm-hmm. Um and so between these two pieces like school as an institution I don't see it going away anytime soon but mm-hmm. however I do see a big difference is that uh privileged schools will start like embracing the idea that tech is important and it's something that you have to prepare for and more contingencies like this have to be prepared for so that may in the short term result in a new line on the fee structure saying you know digital like subscription or some such but mm-hmm. in the long term it will mean that both schools will begin to hire talent that is comfortable teaching online resources will move online yeah that's it in a in a nutshell 
Right. That was a quick brief and very informative opinion. But uh, quickly, I want to ask you, what's your view on homeschooling? Homeschooling, uh, I mean, honestly, I don't know if I have enough enough information to have a strong opinion on it. But I feel like you 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 do miss out on a lot of like collective trauma. Like you know, right. like in school, like all of you have trauma together, and that really brings you together. <laughs> I really like that take on it, collective trauma. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh, it's just it took me back to board exams suddenly as you said okay. it okay yeah we spoke about like a little bit about equity and privilege before as well but you know it's true both social distancing and zoom classes are a big privilege in this current reality that we live in and um international development efforts already focus on education how do you think that a lot of developing countries will deal with the repercussions of this pandemic on the sector and how does the sector sort of bounce back from this um i think again like you you read a lot of things that are going on outside it's a very difficult very tricky situation uh two things again that i mean i, I feel like a you know astrology of making predictions or whatever but like <laughs> <laughs> one is definitely there's a how do you put it um there's going to be a fall in the progress we've made in terms of enrollments because the immediate need will be to get food on the table that means if you are in high school and you have to choose between going back into school or getting more income for the family now you will get more income for the family mm-hmm. like it's really hard that anything else would happen so there's going to be your dropout rates will increase um especially like things like number of girls in school will drop because it's less amount of money that you'd have to pay if you're sending a girl to like a private school and society sucks that way it's that like that like gender equity in schooling that we're, we're making progress we may lose some of that like two steps back but i feel like again it's the same thing that like in in general governments today i mean i'm i've gotten a few requests saying hey like all the school leaders are asking about how can we move our classes online um so i'm hoping that like you know your starlinks and other like satellite constellations are going to provide greater in, like internet coverage internet access even if it will be at the cost of certain privacy or like you know weird internet.org kind of shit but at the end of it you you you're able to cover more people with internet and then you're able to provide devices access and so maybe in like 20 years uh, you'd be able to move a lot of like people online but otherwise i i feel like we've actually the pandemic is going to push us a few steps back um another thing that i really wanted to talk about is something really interesting to me at least um, education and awareness are often considered as the same thing and i strongly believe that they are connected but they're not the same thing or at least you can't use it interchangeably and people do that quite often you know and you can be highly educated and qualified and still have no idea about what your impact is on the planet or the people around you as well right So yeah. according to you what's the role of both education and awareness when it comes to sustainability and sustainable development and what are some of the synergies between the two Uh I mean I think this is the best time for this analogy is like awareness is like reading about a pandemic like you read about it and you're like oh that that's terrible like you know Africa had Ebola is really sad and then you're and and you probably think Africa is a country but anyway so that that's the that's that's one end of it like that's awareness mm-hmm. uh and with education it's like it's like your lived experience like you're you're experiencing what a pandemic can do right now and so if you come out of this knowing that this may happen and you're learning from it and your actions are changing in sort of a positive healthy manner mm-hmm. uh 
then I would say that you're this that this was an educative experience. If you're coming out of it, continuing to do the same things that you were doing, which was like running your factories and pillaging and plundering or whatever, any of those things, then then you know that you're you've probably built awareness, but education hasn't happened yet. Right. That's a lovely way to put it. And so relevant to the time that we live in. Absolutely love that. Okay, that being said, how has your understanding of sustainability changed over the years? Um, yeah, I think definitely like three, four pieces that have really like done a lot. One, I think in, I was totally unaware uh, when I, maybe when I was like in primary school, I was actually like tossing plastic wrappers out of the train window. Uh, you know, I was that like you when you were sitting in a train and then like a plastic wrapper hits you on the face, like in in the early 2000s, that was me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and, and that's like, yeah, that's that's unforgivable, that's sad in many ways. But I think from there, I moved on to like Captain Planets and science projects and stuff and getting aware. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm at least going to keep the wrapper in my pocket. Um, and then from there, I moved into like uh, a sort of college phase where uh, one of the clubs that I joined was started by Nachiket, who was a mm-hmm. senior in biotech. It was called Avni Raksha. Um, and so in Avni Raksha, actually, we did a whole campaign around like waste segregation early on, just be- just before it was being released. And BBMP had a whole like the BBMP is the Bangalore Metropolitan Corporation, right? And so before they came out, we did this whole like piece on uh, we did a TV advertisement and that I have acted in. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> where it's all about me sitting in the back of an auto and I throw a wrapper out, and the auto guy actually like the the driver stops and he gets down picks up the wrapper, puts it back in my hands. And for those who know Canada, it's, it it's says, Yalla, okay, kachada ya ke. It's so simple, but so like, it hits the spot. Also, poetic justice in that is hilarious, that you had to act, and you're throwing it, and then you get it back, okay? Yeah, and so it was like, I, I think that was a turning moment for me. Like, I changed a lot of my views, thoughts around sustainability. And then um, I think more, like now I'm thinking a little bit more about like, things that I don't fully understand, but like circular economies and things like that. So that's where I'm at right now. Still a long way to go. Right. All right. So that was uh, a lot of information. And now let's just do something fun. And because, you know, I'm stuck on the side of the world, missing home a little bit. So we're going to do like a full Desi style rapid fire round. Are you ready, Nori? Yes. All right, let's get straight into it then. So your first question, what's the first word that comes into your mind when I say sustainability? Plastic wrappers. (laughs) Quite the connection you made. All right. Growing up, what was your favorite subject in school? Um, English literature. Wow, very specific. Not English language, English literature. I like that. I hated grammar. I was very bad at it, but I love literature. (laughs) All right, so uh, we spoke about how we all have uh, some things that we're guilty of. So nobody's yeah. perfect. And what's your one sustainability faux pas that you're guilty of currently? E-waste. I collect and gather too many gadgets. I'm always excited by really weird gadgets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have like two uh, Chinese copies of uh, knockoffs of uh, off AirPods, both which don't work. But you see, you see there's a real problem here. <laughs> so, oh, okay. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, hectic. <laughs> but minimalism is the thing that to go forward, you know, with and that's the way to deal with it, I guess. All right, next question. Blackboard or whiteboard? Whiteboard. Chalk dust is the worst. Really? 
Do you yeah. cough a lot? And... Yeah, I mean, it'll, it damages you if you're a teacher over the years. Whiteboard <laughs> it is. All right, next one. One favorite memory of yours as a teacher during the TFI fellowship? One of my first times that I was um, being observed by my manager when I taught a class. And at the end of the class, I realized that two of my kids, Shoaib and Tayyab, very favorite kids, they were through the class, they used their books to build a house underneath the bench and I did not notice. <laughs> so cute and funny at the same time, Nori. <laughs> yeah, that was the worst. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one. What is your favorite sustainable development goal and why? Uh, the current climate around violence and like what's acceptable in terms of like governments being able to do things to you. Uh, it would be probably like the one around peace and justice and like institutions. So that would be like, I don't know, 16 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's the last, one of the last ones. But yeah, this was a wonderful rapid fire. Very quick, I must say. And I'm very happy about that because I feel like in, usually in most of my recordings, I have to like prompt a lot to, for people to be like quick <laughs> answers. So thanks for helping me out with that one. Thank you. Yeah, this was fun. All right. So we spoke about uh, sustainable development goals a little bit. And I would like to know what your view is on if you think that the 17 SDGs enable the global agenda or do they confuse people even more? I think they actually confuse people more and um, they have to be simplified way more. Like I know they're in the efforts to try and simplify it, but like far more has to be simplified way, way, way more. Where does your work fit into the global sustainability agenda? Um, I think definitely, like as you see, the one around quality education, trying to create like what what a great ways to reimagine public education, uh, especially around like project based learning and things like that. That's meaningful to children. That's simple, accessible to kids. I think that's been the goal largely. I also want to know how your industry looks at sustainability and what I mean. We sort of know that quality education is the role that it plays, but are there any um, spillover roles as well to the other SDGs? Um, I think, yeah, there's a lot of like great work that can come out of sustainability education and like bringing in this piece into integrating it with regular schooling, with curriculum. Right now, however, I feel like that's not anybody's focus, sadly, like mm-hmm. the vast majority. And, and by my industry, I see myself in between two. One is like sort of the development sector there. I feel like at least there's an awareness to the cognizance of it. But in the ed tech industry right now, it's all about it's a sort of valuation game. Like, how do I raise more millions of dollars to get more kids onto Zoom or get more, like, you know, live classes, online classes, uh, mm. classes on your phone, on YouTube? Like, it's just it's crazy. Uh, but no one's thinking about, like, how is any of this adding to the world or contributing in any way? Right. What are some of the drivers and barriers to your work? Um, definitely, I think something you spotted very early on in this conversation, in this call conversation, con call with anyway, <laughs> you spotted very early on is the, the barrier and the, the sort of driver here is like talent is like how many like Riddhi Dattas are willing to come and work in, in education, in, in schools, in public schools, like mm-hmm. you want to work till it's cool enough for you to get like grad school. But beyond that, I mean, myself and my guilt included. You want to do whatever is like financially like sustainable or mm-hmm. uh, school or something like that. So, yeah. Right. What is um, or like tell me what are some of the mo- most innovative ideas that you've seen in your industry's green space? Oh, that's a great question. I uh, perhaps like I think I've seen a, this is a really cool school in Tokyo. It's a play school that's circular and uh-huh. it's like get to run around and they run around trees and they climb trees and they get back into class and 
it's really fun. It's really cute. I don't know if this is like the right answer, but when I said when you said green space, like it reminded me of like a physical green space that the play school was in, and it was like a beautiful circle, and the whole circular economy thing is in my head. So all those pieces put together. <laughs> no, but that's a that's a valid answer as well. I mean, who am I to say what a valid answer is or not? You just give me what you have, I guess. Um, what has been the most rewarding project in your professional career, and why? Um, Ramibaz, uh, just like being able to see a movement grow far beyond what you imagined and what you thought it was meant to do. Uh, I think yeah, that's the single like Ramibaz is that, and then the reason is definitely that. Yeah, and letting go of your baby as well, you know. Yeah. It teaches yeah. you a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, penultimate question: What's next for Nori? Uh, pass. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. No, it's a scary time. I don't even know what I'm going to do beyond this. But definitely in education, some hopefully want to be in like uh, in you know something like project-based learning at, at any level. Maybe it's on computers. Maybe it's in physical spaces. But definitely education and like at public schools. Perfect. Well, yep. all the best to you for that. I'm no, I know for a fact that you know, even with my best wishes, like even without them, you were do super, super well because you've uh, been super cool all this while, as we have uh, already heard. Uh, yeah. That being said, let's uh, let's get to the closing of things. So you know how during this time we've all been like reading books, watching a lot of Netflix. and getting those kind of recommendations i also wanted to start a sustainability exchange on this podcast as it really is about sussing it out you know so what is that one sustainable thing that you would recommend to everyone listening it could be a book a podcast a movie or even a something as simple as a habit um i think it's a podcast that my friend uh, in college started it's called suss it out <laughs> that was you know um, what i was not expecting that at all i was like oh, who who started a podcast <laughs> suddenly i thought oh my god yeah uh, i mean definitely yes more people should be listening to sasit out for sure uh, the other answers i recently read a book uh, which is unlike what i read i read a lot of science fiction usually but this was called when breath becomes air uh, and it was a lot about some really difficult questions to ask yourself about the way you're living your life and i feel like while it doesn't directly like talk about sustainability it it, all, it always makes you think about what's the footprint you're leaving behind and i feel like that's a powerful analogy absolutely love that and uh, thank you for plugging my podcast in the end that was so, so <laughs> now i don't have to do that in the outro uh, anymore no thank thank you for patiently listening to and asking me all of these questions and uh, Yeah, thank you. It was really nice. Well, I'm on radio. <laughs> <laughs> the pleasure is all mine, Nori. It's just super nice to hear a friend talk about everything amazing that they've been doing with their lives, and like you know, get a little bit inspiration, like I did in first year. So yeah, thanks to you thank for you. taking your time out and doing this with me, first of all. Should I should I end this by saying suss it out with Jyoti Datta? No. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> So that was Prashant Nori on Sasitart. I hope you enjoyed this episode and it gave you an insight on what the world of education is like, what the role of teachers is, the interplay of privilege and access to education and how 
the sector is so so important in the understanding of sustainability and giving us the tools to act upon that very understanding to create a more sustainable world it would be really helpful if you could give me any feedback through my dms or leave a comment on any of my social media rate this podcast on the different podcasting platforms share it with your friends and family have a conversation around it and just let me know what you think about it and what you would like to hear from me So until the next time this is me Radhi Data signing off and you were listening to Sass It Out with Radhi Data